Hey everybody, it is Drags Mike Petralia back with another episode of the Jungle Roar podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome back old friend Richard Skinner. We all know him from Local 12 better as Skinny. How are you, bud? Doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me. You can follow uh, Skinny, of course, on Twitter at Local12Skinny, all one word. He does a tremendous job on his uh, podcast, the Skinny Podcast. Uh, you want to tell people, by the way, where they can uh, follow that podcast? Yeah, well, we, we actually had it move corporately and put under a different umbrella, and we had a little little technical glitch, but you can now get it back on, on any of your, your favorite podcast providers, SoundCloud, etc. You can also, if worse comes to worse, you can always go to our website at local12.com and, and click on the link there. So thank you for asking that. Yeah, you're very welcome. And uh, there's going to be some um, overlap yeah. uh, with regard to your last podcast when it dropped a couple of days ago and our Jungle Roar podcast of today. First of all, Jesse Bates, um, I said last week on the podcast that I really believe he is going to be eventually in camp. He's going to play games. He's not going to miss paychecks once the preseason and regular season begins. You agree? Completely agree. And that's why I know you know fans get over their skis when they hear the report that Jesse's not going to sign the franchise tag. That didn't come from Jesse Bates, mind you. That likely came from his agent to a national media member. Um, it's easy for them to talk tough now because he wasn't going to show up for OTAs. Honestly, Mike, even if he has plans to sign the franchise tag, even if that's what he's going to do all along, I don't blame him for not showing up to OTAs. I don't think I would either in the, in the circumstance he's under. I think everybody understands that. I think teammates certainly understand that. I think, I think uh, Zach Taylor certainly understands that. So it's easy to talk tough when you weren't going to come to this stuff anyway. And when you talk tough and you don't show up, it looks like you're kind of standing your ground and I'm not going to sign it. I'm, I'm in your camp, Mike. Come, come July 15th, I can't believe he walks away from $13 million of guaranteed money. Uh, it's not second contract life-changing money, like generational money, but $13 million in one year is certainly life-changing money. And I think Jesse Bates understands that. I think he will sign the franchise tag. They will then let him walk in free agency after the year. I think that's been the plan all along. Not only uh, is there money involved, there's the competitive aspect of his career involved and he has a chance to win a super bowl let's be very very honest i'm not saying that you know getting past the bills or the chiefs again uh or even the browns and ravens and tennessee or whoever else uh might rise up and give them a challenge in the afc that's not going to be easy but he has a legit shot with the bengals a roster um that is only better uh, one year later after uh, making Super Bowl 56. And he's not going to give that up that easily. And the other thing that we keep harping on here in the offseason, he loves his teammates and his teammates love him. This is not a situation where it was like with Le'Veon Bell uh, with the Steelers, where if you remember that story, Skinny, and I know you do, uh, there was a lot of animosity in that yeah. organization over how Le'Veon and his uh, representatives handled that situation versus how Jesse Bates is being perceived in that Bengals locker room. Yeah. And, and I think the other part too is, you know, I don't know if, if let's just play the game that the Bengals let him walk in free agency this year, that they didn't put the franchise tag on him. I don't think he was going to get the top dollar he and his camp wanted from another team either. I just don't, I think he was going to get paid handsomely, mm-hmm. but not in that upper stratosphere coming off the year he had. So now Go out with the 13 mil guaranteed under the franchise tag. Have a great season. Kind of pony off of, remember last year, he talked to us about midway through about, you know, the contract was weighing on his mind. And it seemed like after that, he started to play better. He was great in the postseason for sure. 
Go out there with 13 mil guaranteed, play a great season. Then you're going to get paid from some other team accordingly. And I, I think that's on the table too. I think if you sit this out, which again, I don't believe he's going to, but if you do, what, what do you have to hang your, hang, hang your hat on if you go to free agency? You're going to get paid okay, but not what you might expect to get if you have another great season. One other observation on Jesse Bates, and then I'll move on, I promise, uh, is that, you know, as you know, I covered the Patriots for 25 years, and the cultural difference, I talked a little bit with Ted Karras about this, is so significant. It's just different in Cincinnati. And the reason I say that is the Bengals do not shy away from letting their players talk if they want to talk about it. Yeah. They're like, you know, if you want to speak about that, that's your business. You handle it like you want to handle it. And I think they have given Jesse Bates um, and David Mulligetta, his uh, representative, every opportunity to do so. They've let them speak their mind. They've not repressed them in, in any way, shape or form that I know of that. I'm right. aware no, I don't of. think they have either. I think you're right. Yeah, and, and, and the, go ahead. Yeah. Mike, and that's the thing here that there's, there's nobody at fault, right? Jesse Bates wants to be paid top dollar and, and his representative wants to get his, his, his client top dollar. Fully understand that. This is the leverage you can use for now, which is not coming to OTAs, talking tough and all that stuff. The Bengals can't pay everybody. That, that's the price of becoming good is you can't pay everybody. And so you have to then put a value on certain position groups and they don't value position of safety as a top dollar position. Obviously, they drafted for the future because of that. It's a, it's a burn and churn group. And if you have to have a stopgap, you find a Von Bell type of player. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's anybody at fault. This is just the business of the NFL. And the Bengals, under the collective bargaining agreement, have every right to slap the franchise tag on Jesse Bates. And here we are. Speaking with Richard Skinner of Local 12 here in Cincinnati. Uh, you can follow him on uh, Twitter at Local12Skinny. All right, Skinny, I, I want to get to the respect factor. And players love to bring this up oh, yeah. when they reach a certain level of their profession and feel like they haven't gotten the love. And the Bengals certainly fall into that category following their Super Bowl run of last year. Many, many observers, including many observers in Vegas, uh, feel that it was a fluke. Feel that 2021, all of the cards, uh, you know, really fell into place perfectly. Uh, they got the right breaks in the playoffs. They got the right breaks late in the season. They were able to avoid the injury bug for the most part throughout uh, the course of the season last year and the playoffs for the most part. And uh, they are not counted, you know, a lot of the experts and, and many of the boys and girls in Vegas who lay the odds are not making the Bengals favorites. Not only are they not favorites, they are third down the pegging order in the AFC North. I find that extreme because I don't think the Ravens roster and the Browns roster as currently constituted are better than what the Bengals have after improving their offensive line through free agency. Yeah, and for full disclosures, you know, Mike, the, the, the margin between one team one and team three is really tight. I think the most recent I saw where the Browns were were plus 1.7 to 1, the, the Ravens were plus 2.1, and the Bengals were plus 2.2, give or take. So they're really close, but still. They are, yes. But still, I, I, and, I'm, and I'm kind of with you. I, Baltimore's the interesting one for me because um, they still have a very good roster that – disintegrated because of injuries last year. Cleveland's the most interesting one in, in another regard because, you know, I think coming off the playoff year of 2020, 
you right. thought, okay, they finally kind of got over the hump. They found their quarterback. They've got nice pieces in place. They went out in free agency and did some good things. I thought that was a really good roster going into last year, and it just never happened. Some of it due to Baker Mayfield's play. Some of it due to Baker Mayfield playing hurt at, at times. And I think the belief is, right or wrong, that this one guy into Sean Watson is going to be the magic elixir. And I, I don't know if I buy into that either because we don't know when he's going to play. How effective is he going to be missing a full year of playing, maybe missing a handful of games to start this season and, and not playing? What does that do to, to that team? Um, so I'm kind of with you, but I think for the Bengals, it gives them that, and, and I always hate to talk in these terms, the proverbial chip on the shoulder, right? Yep. And it's a, it's a rare place to be a Super Bowl runner-up that had one glaring weakness that it fixed, at least in theory, tried to fix by signing three free agent offensive linemen. So you get a chance to come off of a Super Bowl loss, a close Super Bowl loss, with now a chip on your shoulder of, see, nobody believes in us still. And it's a pretty good place to be, I would think, if you're Zach Taylor and those players. I think it's a great place to be. I just, going back to the Browns, Skinny, I don't understand why they gave up on Baker so quickly. And it's odd, and we we don't know the machinations inside the Browns organization and how that organization from Kevin Stefanski, the uh, head coach on down and on up probably is more apt way of putting it, uh, how they feel about Baker Mayfield, because he, like you said, he played through injury. Granted it was his left shoulder, his non-throwing shoulder, but he played banged up. And I just don't understand why they are, they were so quick after things went so well in a very difficult season for everybody in 2020 to give up on Baker Mayfield and go after a guy who is no one will dispute Deshaun Watson's athletic gifts, but the amount of baggage that comes with Deshaun Watson seems prohibitive to me when you got a guy like Baker Mayfield already in the wings. But I don't know if that's locker room baggage. You know, we've heard, remember, we've, we've heard from DJ Reader here that stood up for Deshaun Watson uh, in one of our, our pressers here during the offseason and, um, you know, former teammate in, in Houston. Maybe he's a great teammate. Maybe he's a horrible human being. And it sure looks from the outside that he may be, but maybe he's a great teammate. And, and maybe there's something with Baker that he's just not a great teammate because I don't know if I'm going to give up on a quarterback who led a team to the playoffs, almost led him to an upset win over the Chiefs in the playoffs. And then comes out the next year, gets banged up, tries to play through it, not for himself, I mean, for to help his team, um, and, and is kind of kicked to the curb. And there's, there's just got to be more to it than that. But I think that's where Vegas is coming from, that Deshaun Watson is just such an upgrade talent-wise that it's going to be enough to, to carry the Browns to this division title. With the Baltimore Ravens. Right. If you buy that Lamar Jackson will make the adjustments to overcome what he went through last year and obviously he was injured we understand that but there are other scouts that i've spoken with that said his game his ability to read downfield really uh diminished in 2021 one of the big reasons his numbers fell off uh, injury aside again Uh, but who is he who's lamar jackson if he comes back to the level he was back in 2018 2019 who's he going to throw the ball to I think they're going back to, to to the power running game with him being a part of it. I think part of the reason he wasn't effective throwing the ball last year a lot of the times was he wasn't effective in the run game. And, and when he's effective in the run game and you have to defend him and a running back and then play action stuff off of that with the group of tight ends that they, they had and now have again uh, with what they did in the draft, I think that makes him scary. I think the biggest part, though, is 
I've been a big believer all along, not in Lamar Jackson not being a talent and not being a great thrower and all those things. I've just been a big believer that that style of play in this league, you're eventually going to get hurt. And when you get Marvin hurt the first Lewis, time through, right? you're going to get hurt again and again and again and again. And I think that's the biggest drawback. A healthy Lamar Jackson, I think they're a playoff team. If he play, if you tell me right now, Mike, he plays all 17 games and is healthy for all 17 games, um, I think they may be the best team in the division, but I just don't believe that he's going to get through a 17-game season playing that style of play a few years into the league and taking the hits he's taken. Remember what Mar- everybody remembers, I think, here in Cincinnati, what Marvin Lewis said about that, right? Yeah. He was yeah. one of the first to call him out. It called that style of play out is what I should say, not the player per, per se. Yeah, but I mean, style worked. of play, it's not sustainable in the NFL. Right. Right. I mean, Robert Griffin III, when he first came in the league, it was, oh, my lands, look at the talent, the supreme talent this kid is. And he was. But all it took was first time through starting to get hit and get taking hits. It starts to take a cumulative effect on you. And and uh, that's the thing. They've built this offense around his running ability more than anything else. And, and if that weapon is taken away for, I mean, let's say he can start a few games with a bad ankle or a, a, a bum left shoulder, right. but he's not going to be able to take the hits in the run game. And so they're not going to call design runs for him. Um, that takes a big weapon away from their offense. That They built a lot of that around him and his running ability. I don't know. Let's move on to the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals and your takeaways. He's a pretty good one Uh, during OTAs and during what really now technically is spring practice before the OTAs uh, in June. And Skinny, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it looks like Joe is taking more, Joe Burrow is taking more command of the offense doing subtle things at the line of scrimmage. He just looks more confident. I don't know if it's the fact he's not wearing his knee brace and wearing a knee brace on either knee, um, or if it's just that he looks more comfortable at the line, but I can, it just seems like to me, Burrow has a little bit more confidence and swagger when he walks up to the line of scrimmage, even in these shorts and t-shirts practices. Yeah, now he's obviously been a confident guy from day one, right? And and we knew that. But this is really the first off season that's been normal for him. You know, first off season was right. COVID season. Last year was working on knee rehab more than anything else. It was very symbolic that he showed up for OTAs last year, but he wasn't able to do much of anything. And 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 I do think that Joe's struggles early last season were knee related, and suddenly it just clicked. The knee probably started feeling better. And then of course he had to deal with the pinky, but. Well, those last six to eight games in the postseason, that that was the guy you go, we thought he could be the franchise. That that was the one that erased whatever doubt you might have had in this guy. And I think he carried that confidence from that of into this year. Now, finally, I get an offseason. Finally, uh, um, I can just focus on getting some things better, taking more command of the offense, all of those things. And you're right. He, there's, if there can be a different swagger to him, there looks to be that. And you and I we're sitting at practice the other day or saying at practice talking and even looks like he's throwing the ball with even a little bit more zip on it. He made a, a rollout throw um, to Mike Thomas. That was just, it was a flick of the wrist, like yep. it's stuff that you watch Pat Mahomes do. And you go, that's, you know, Joe's never had the Supreme arm talent. He's never going to have Aaron Rodgers arm talent or no. Pat Mahomes arm talent, but his arm talent looks like it's getting better. And that's scary. Cause you know, that was the one knock. Does he have the arm talent? Well, he makes all the throws. That's all you need to know. And now when you look, you go, he's making some throws that, that, big time guys with big arms make that's even scarier. I think that's why skinny Phil Sims compared Burrow to Montana because we both remember Joe Montana and the older fan 
space listening to this podcast and in our general audiences, re remember what Joe Montana was known for. It was the way he dissected defenses, the way he was able to roll out like we saw on Tuesday and find an open receiver downfield in the West Coast type of style. And obviously, we know with Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan, it's a hybrid. They pick and choose and implement different styles in their offensive uh, game calling all the time but with Burrow it looks as though they are using his strengths and skill sets much in the same way Bill Walsh used Joe Montana very early on yeah and, and I think that's been the plan all along unfortunately in year one you didn't trust the offensive line they got behind in a ton of games that took all the running game out of things and all the play action and bootlegs and nakeds that you want to do last year you weren't going to do that early with him because of the knee and I think you started to see a little bit more of that, as I mentioned, as the season went along and into the postseason. And I think you'll see a ton more of that this season uh, with, with Joe Burrow now fully healthy and, and good to go. And if it weren't for an all-world, literally an all-time defensive um, effort by the Rams in the Super Bowl, he would have won that Super yeah, Bowl. No, I, no question. And, and I would argue that Joe Montana, Joe Montana never went up against the Steel Curtain in the Super Bowl. Um, he went up, obviously, against the Bengals a couple of times, against the Broncos, who um, were just obliterated, as we, we well remember. Um, the Chargers, who uh, Steve Young, you know, just absolutely annihilated. Um, the 49ers offense went up against a lot of defenses, at least in the Super Bowl, that weren't very tough. I think what the Bengals went up against in the LA Rams was an all-time defense. And I think we'll look back on that and realize that. All right. The offensive line, what are you, some of your takeaways and observations about uh, the way the new guys have looked at, by the way, we should acknowledge the fact Alex Kappa not there this week dealing with a core issue. Yeah. He's going to be, it sounds like a couple of weeks till he gets back. And that's a little disappointing that, He's going to miss some of this time. And obviously, you know, you want to start to get these guys cohesive together as a, as a five-man unit. You'd like to settle on left guard sooner rather than later. I, I do think Jackson Carmen looks more athletic. Um, he's reshaped his body. He talked to us yesterday about that. There seems to be, and, and he, he we, we poked at him a little bit with it. I think he's taken a different maturity level to this offseason than he did last offseason. I, I asked him point blank and you were there Mike I, I asked him did you think the NFL was going to be easier than it was it probably wasn't a well-phrased question but I was trying to elicit a response from an him excellent that said, question was no, that's, right I, I was to the point yeah I was hoping his response would be yeah I didn't treat this with the seriousness I needed to um but I but you asked him a maturity question and he I, I think you, you can just tell that he realized that last year you know you got to come in shape you got to be in your playbook I think it was no no question in my mind that when he came out as the third team guard on that very first day of training camp practice, I don't care what they say, that was absolutely telling him, buddy, you're going to have to earn your way up the ladder. Well, this year they've given him the top rung of the ladder, and I think he understands that, and it's very easy for them to take it away from him yep. if he doesn't perform at a high level. And if you don't understand it now, kid, you're never going to get it. Now, uh, my column on CLNS Media was about Jackson Carmen. And I don't know if you agree with this, Skinny, and I want you to be point blank honest with me. The, the headline that I gave the story was, and what I kind of wanted to get across was, it's getting late early for Jackson yeah. Carmen. Meaning, this is it, buddy. I know you're only 22, but you have got to wake up. And if you don't get this opportunity right, and you don't give a hundred, maybe even more than a hundred percent to the job that uh, is in front of you, then that's it with us. 
I think that's exactly dead on, Mike. And I think that's the the Cordell Volson is a draft pick based not not on you know maybe just the future, but to to push him to say, listen, we you're after the guy we think a lot of, and if you're not ready to play, we'll put, put this kid in. And we've got other options. You know, Quentin Spain's still hanging out there. If you come he to training is. camp and you're and you're a you know you're a physical mess and you're not mentally ready and you've put the weight back on and all of those things and and you know. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll go sign Quentin Spain. He'll put it, he played left guard just fine for us last year. Wasn't great, but certainly better than you. And I think you're right. I think this is kind of a put up or shut up moment. And I think, again, they can talk about open competition all they want. They're plugging him there with the first team right now to say, okay, it's yours. Don't play your way out of it. And I, I think I asked him that question too. Do you think it's yours to win or lose? And he just said, that's a competition. Blah, 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 blah. Right. I, I do think there's some, some symbolism to them saying, here you go. It's yours. Don't lose it. Uh, and also, uh, you know, we can't ignore the fact that Defector.com uh, story right. that came out hours before the uh, first round of the draft on April 28th. And, um, you know, I think it's pretty obvious right now, Skinny, that the Bengals are going with their own uh, 411, if you will, their own research background information that they did on Jackson Carmen and are satisfied with it. And if they hadn't been satisfied with it in the last, let's say, five weeks since that story broke, they would have taken action. The fact that they have not taken action, I think, is uh, telling them, look, we we understand no police report was technically filed. No charges have been filed, I should say. No charges have been filed. Um, There were uh, investigations done by the police. We understand that. But we are going with the information that we have on Jackson and, and all the background we did, and we're comfortable with that going forward. Yeah, and I read the law in South Carolina as well. It's called the uh, it's called the Romeo and Juliet law. While he had, you know, even if it was consensual, which in the story uh, he says that it was, um, that based on how close they were in age of eighteen and fifteen, that it wouldn't be statutory rape either. So if it was consensual. Um, there, there's nothing there. And, and that, that's where the story is in such a weird place. And I think you're right. I think if they'd have come to the conclusion that there's more smoke than fire or there's more fire than smoke, I guess, in, in this case, right. I think they would have taken action with Jackson Carmen and probably cut him at this point. I mean, it just adds to the dynamic of, of his storyline with the Bengals that there really is no margin for error Correct. with Jackson Correct. Carmen. And the fact that they, the Bengals are giving them him every opportunity, a local kid from Fairfield High, to prove his value, this is it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's exactly right. And I, I think if he somehow plays himself out of this role, would he stick on the roster this year? Probably. But I think at that point, you, you, you're ready to move on from him. So uh, I think this is a good fair. This is, this is literally telling him, we want you to win this job. We're giving you this job. Now, treat it like the professional you should be. And look, his body looks reshaped. You know, we watch him, they're running plays on air, but he looks athletic to me. Moves, he's moving really well. Um, you know, maybe that was the light bulb for him. Well, and I noticed that on that play that you referenced where uh, Burrow rolled out to his right and uh, flipped the ball downfield to Mike Thomas, not Jamar Chase, as I uh, mistakenly tweeted. I corrected that, by the way, in that thread. But on that same play, you notice Jackson Carmen sprinting out to the left side as Burrow is going off to his right. And if you watch that video, and it's on my Twitter feed, yep. if you watch that video and watch how athletic Carmen looks moving, he was not doing that last year no not at all absolutely not at all are you um i'm going to finish up with this my only concern with the bengals offensive line is their depth yep and i'm just wondering from your the way you read their depth chart and i've got it right in front of me 
Do you think they have enough depth if, let's say, Alex Kappa has to miss time or if Jackson Carmen doesn't work out? Are you convinced that they have enough plug-and-play bodies who can go in there and still improve upon the effort that was given last year? I don't. I know they like Trey Hill a lot. Um, They're talking nice things about Trey Hill, but, you know, if Kappa goes down and Trey Hill has to start 14 games at center, is this a better offensive line? Probably not. You know, Isaiah, so you're assuming that Karras moves to guard? Is that what you're assuming? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I, I meant I meant Karras. I mean, if Karras gets hurt, who's the backup? Oh, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, at, at guard, in theory, Akeem Adeniji is a nice backup guy. But again, we're talking if you have to start extended games, is that going to to to, to be a bad thing? And really, at tackle, I think they're razor thin at tackle. Um, yes. You know, Isaiah Prince wasn't very good last year in a swing tackle. Well, I don't care what they say. Um, obviously, they didn't think enough of him to let him be the starter again coming into this year. That's why they went and signed Lyle Collins. And now they're moving Deontay Smith back to tackle, it looks like, even yes. though, you know, he tried some at guard. And that wasn't a great thing in camp. Again, the one thing I will say, and I think there's, you'll know this, and you know this, and, and Zach Taylor's alluded to it, you know, guys are allowed to take a jump from year one to year two and be better in this league, especially offensive linemen, because it is it's so different from college football that there is a learning curve there for these guys. So I'm going to take that with the grain of salt and, and, and let's see. But well, Mike, I'm kind of with you. I mean, the, the five starters on paper, good to go. Are you really going to get 85 starts from five guys on an offensive that's line? my concern. That's absolutely yeah. my concern. Yeah. And that's where Again, you tell a Quentin Spain, if nobody signs, you be ready because you are literally first on our, on our speed dial to call and because and, and, we know we can plug and play you because we, we did it in a day once. <laughs> we plugged and played you on a, on a Sunday when you didn't know anything was going on here. So they know they can do things like that, I think. Um, but yeah, for right now, it's thin, man, really thin. One thing I, I know uh, or I am very happy about that is another indication that we're getting at least closer back to normal is that um, the joint practices have returned around the NFL. The Bengals and the Rams will be doing so. And this seems like a natural. And Zach Taylor talked about this on Tuesday with Sean McVay and Zach Taylor knowing each other very well. I think that'll be a fun thing to cover in the uh, third preseason week. Yeah, I do too. And, and, and I thought Zach talking about making sure it was a, a staff with similar practice philosophies is important because you do have some staffs that they're going to let you hit a little bit more. Um, and you don't want to all of a sudden have a kamikaze team come in that they, they tackle on every Thursday of practice right. and, and young guy trying to make club wants to prove, Hey, I'm going to stick it to a Bengal. And <laughs> so, um, you, you know, in this case, you practice similarly, a little thudding, maybe nobody's going to get me out to, for, for blood and all of those things. I think the one thing I would ask though, if I'm the Bengals is this, I would say you guys can come, your whole team can come, but you can keep Aaron, Aaron Donald back in LA. We're not going to practice against that guy. Yeah, I wondered about that. Actually, you know, I I know James Rapine of SI.com asked the question about uh, the joint practices, and so did uh, Kelsey Conway of the Inquirer. I should, had I been thinking of that, I'm like, what are your real thoughts about Aaron Donald uh, taking on your starters, even, or even your second team in a situation like that? Because Aaron Donald is notoriously a high motor guy 100% of the time. Well, if you want to see if Trey Hill can block some people in the league, let Trey Hill go up against him and see if he can get the job done, right? Uh, Bengals Ring of Honor 2022 class. Uh, Bengals season ticket members and suite holders um, will be voting uh, to select two former players. Uh, voting continues through uh, June 10th in the Bengals uh, official Bengals app. And that's for season ticket members and suite holders, not to the uh, general public. But I'm going to give you 
of the 15 former players that have been uh, so nominated by the team, the two that stick out to me, and I'm going to go old school because you know I'm I'm an old school guy. I think I think we're going to parry up here. I, I think Let, let's see because I, I did a column on it last week. I got it narrowed to four and picked two. I, I'm I'm really interested in this because we we are we're we're, we're fairly similar in age. Uh, we we know our Bengals history, so I'm I'm really interested where you go with this. Okay, I'm going to go Isaac Curtis. Okay, and I'm going to go James Brooks. Wow. Yeah, that's wow. that. I, I a lot of people would say boomer, and I understand that. I don't. I yeah, I'm not a boomer guy. You are or not? I'm not. Uh, yeah. Boomer's way down the road for me to be honest with you. So I parried it down to four guys: Willie Anderson. Um, okay. Yes. Uh, doing this off the topic: Corey Dillon, Chad Johnson, and Lamar Parrish. And keeping and, Lamar. And I and the two that were on the outside of that group, and I said if I had two others I could throw in, it would be James Brooks and Isaac Curtis. They would be fifth and sixth on my list. Oh, okay, that's that's reasonable. Yeah, so I mean, at least we're in the ballpark. Yeah, and and the reasoning for some of these guys, Willie Anderson was a finalist this year for the Hall of Fame, um, didn't get in, but if you're that close, I think you should at least be in your team's ring of honor at that point. I think Lamar Parrish, and you're going to probably probably turn this thing off as soon as I say this. I know what you're going to say. Lamar Parrish is a far better player than Ken Riley. And I knew you were going to go there. That's not to besmirch Ken Riley in any way, shape, or form. Lamar Parrish made the profootballreference.com all 1970s team. And do you remember how many great cornerbacks there were uh, in the 1970s? Yes. I mean, <laughs> Mel it, Blunt? Yeah, correct. Haynes? Yeah, you, you keep rattling them off. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of them uh, you know, that, that, that were in that. Anybody team. from the Raiders? Yeah, right, correct. Um, so... Lamar wasn't only a, not just a great cornerback, six Pro Bowls in eight seasons with the Bengals. Ken Riley had none in that time frame. Um, he didn't have the interceptions Ken Riley did because people didn't throw at Lamar Parrish quite as much. The old and, sauce gardener with the Bearcats. Right, that's right. Yeah, you don't Kobe intercept Bryant, because yeah. yeah. they don't throw your way. Yeah, he, he made Kobe Bryant a Jim Thorpe winner because they throw Kobe Bryant's way. Now, the other guy's got to make plays too, and Ken Riley was obviously very good at that. I don't want this to be a, a crap on Ken Riley. Days. No, I, I, Ken we, Riley too. look, Bengal fans, you know, who we both were growing up, understand this, and I think Bengal fans that watch this podcast and your podcast as well, appreciate that that this isn't meant in any way shape or form to diminish ken riley no, no it's right. to actually expose the the career the great career that lamar Parrish had he was superb and i even got into his return skills that you know all about i mean he was a kickoff returner for a period of time and a great one then he was a great punt returner he has 13 non-offensive touchdowns which ranks fifth in nfl history that's i didn't know that yeah, that's, I mean, the, the guy was a playmaker. He was, I, I said this on Twitter, he was Deion Sanders before Deion Sanders. He just that's didn't a, have the, the same yes. showmanship. Uh, the first game I ever went to with the Bengals opening day, 1974, with my sister. It. Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns. You remember he had a, a, kick, a kick return for a touchdown. Yep, yep. Well, the punt was, return, actually. Yeah, punt return. Which you, 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 go, go look at that one on YouTube and see the Houdini act he pulls on that punt yes. return. I think he breaks 67 tackles on that return. He was just a superb talent. So those were my two. Um, you know, Corey Dillon's the all-time leading rusher in, in Bengals history. Obviously played on bad teams where he was the focal point of defenses and still put up gaudy numbers. Right. Rick Broy and I debated this on, on, on the Skinny Podcast. I thought Rick made a good point. The one thing that is maybe hard for fans to forget is kind of the way Corey exited here. It was not in a very... The jersey in the stands. Yeah, yeah. Not a very professional way. And, and maybe some voters still hold that against him. And, and obviously, Chad Johnson's got to go in here sooner rather than later. He's the all-time leader in receptions, receiving yards, touchdown receptions, all those things. You can make the argument for Isaac Curtis because he played in a different era. The rules, in fact, literally they changed the rules because of him, which is got to say for something. And he still put up 
quality numbers year after year, but something for being the all-time catch, receiving yards, touchdown guy, to me, that 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 guy goes in. I, I So for me, it's it's Willie Anderson, Lamar Parrish this year. It's Chad and Corey next year, and then Brooks and Curtis the year after, and then we'll see where Geno Atkins is at in the pecking order at some point from there. Anything else you want to push on your podcast or anything you're working on, Skinny? No, we got all kinds of stuff at Local12.com, uh, not just Bengals-related, but uh, but Reds-related, college football, college basketball, of course, the podcast that, uh, that Trags talked about and, and regular Bengals coverage on top of all of that. And we did not even mention the fact that the Reds are not going to lose 100 games. Aren't we, you proud of me? We, we may have to go another week and put some kind of small small wager on this of some kind, some kind of food or beverage wager. Um, I can the, assure the, you one thing, Skinny. The numbers Tyler, are working out against you, Michael, little by little. Tyler Malley will not be on the team for much longer. You may be right on that regard. Uh, I mean, I love the guy's arm, but oh boy, it is flat as a board. His and, fastball and, is. Go ahead. If, he, if he's not, though, Mike, and if he doesn't regain his touch, either one, um, you can break down that 100 losses and circle it in red pen. I will circle back with you on that. Scott. All right. Of course. He is Richard Skinner, does a great job covering sports for Local 12. You can follow him on Twitter at Local 12 Skinny, all one word. Appreciate you uh, joining me, Skinny. Always enjoy it, Mike. Thanks so much. See you next week. All right. Uh, he is Richard Skinner. I'm Mike Petralia Trags. Thanks for watching.